uh, the fact that I'm way older than that guy on the screen who was, I think, 23 or 24 years old, or probably more so uh, the fact uh, that I used to have a very interesting idea of what it was to be a missionary. Some weird stuff that came to life in that video. I'm just going to say, if you guys don't know, my wife and I, we spent like three and a half years living overseas, uh, learning the kingdom in Uganda uh, and trying to be missionaries. And it was beautiful. But like, man, like that video alone just points to the, the naivety that we walked out uh, of our home with and into the nations with. Things like uh, missionaries uh, are like superheroes. What in the, like, why did that guy have a cape on, which was actually a blanket? Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and help me help Uganda. Like that, that's such an arrogant, prideful declaration of what being a missionary is. You guys picking up on what I'm talking about here? And I just, I wanted to start with that because it's a little of the conversation that we're having today. And I want you to know that like there is a ton of room and permission to get it wrong because Jesus is better than when we get it wrong right? We lived, we, we got to bless lives, we got to be blessed by the lives of other people as we lived on mission, and it was incredible. But there is something to that just strange, like, what is a missionary question? And it, I don't think, was just my own pride and arrogance that, that came up with that idea. I think there's a little bit of, like, Christian culture that has built that understanding into us, the we that is in this room, that thinks, oh, those are like the elite sent ones, you know? The, the once they have arrived people that get to go and bring the kingdom to other places. These are the superheroes. These are, you know, we, even culturally, we love the stories. We share the stories, and they're worth sharing, of, of the people, you know, whacking through the bushes of Papua New Guinea and, and translating the Bible to, to an unreached people group so that they would know Jesus. That should be celebrated, but that is not the fullness of the mission of God. And so what I want to look at today a little bit is uh, I want to take us into a deeper understanding, maybe, of what this thing to be a missionary, to be a sent one, looks like. Because I, I really do believe that for many of us, it's hard to imagine anything more than that kind of elite sent person. In fact, uh, Hannah was just talking about D-School, uh, our DTS, we're getting ready to go on a trip. I'm super excited. Uh, in less than a month, we're leading a team to Moldova, to the Ukrainian border. Uh, it's going to be wild, and we're going to bless people, and we're going to bring kingdom. Uh, but like, a really significant thing happened that I was uh, kind of surprised by. We began fundraising just a little over three weeks ago for this trip. And God, through the generosity of his people, has basically provided like $30,000 for us to go to Moldova, like paid for the trip. Come on, amen, that's significant. But there's something in that that, that points us and even uncovers this reality that like, man, we, we're willing to like to be generous towards and to get behind these kind of big moves of God, these exciting calls of God. And sometimes we're a little less excited uh, when we meet someone on the street who just really wants you to know about Jesus. Like my wife and I and, and actually all of the staff here at Antioch, we're here as missionaries. And no awkward conversation have I had than when we were raising funds to, to take on just the, the, pastor, the associate pastor role here at Antioch. And we're sitting with friends and loved ones. They love Jesus. 
And, and they're trying to comprehend. So wait, you're going to work for a church and you're raising support to be on staff at a church? Why would you do that? And that's complex and really fun. The short answer is because we're building a church here and it's a pleasure to get to do that and it's what Jesus has called us to do. So that's enough of that. But like, but th there's just this like, we, we only have a singular framework of missionary. And I think uh, that that's become really detrimental to the people of Jesus, to the call of Jesus, and, and really to the kingdom that he set out to create. And if you even maybe take a, a deeper dive, like what do we call professional Christians? Anybody know? We're going to interact a little today. I lead our D school with my wife, and we, like, interact with each other. Brownie points to the first person who can tell me what we call a professional Christian. Disciple. You're going to be mad about this brownie point, bro, because you get them all the time. But that's for you right there. A disciple. So I would say we call, we call professional Christians, um, we call them ministers. Anyone ever heard that word before? We call them Missionaries. Right, those are the people like doing it with their life. But that's a little strange because Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he gave these people to like equip for the work of ministry. But, but who is he equipping for the work of ministry in this passage? I'll get out of the way. It's right there, third line. The saints. Are there any saints in the room today? Are you, like, boldly, are you a saint? Are you saved and redeemed? Are you a follower of Jesus? Amen. Say it with everything you've got. That's the best identity you will ever have. And it is a good one. So, like, y'all are ministers. We're, myself included, we are ministers. We are missionaries. We are the people who God is sending. We're all saints. And so today, let's look at what, what would it look like for us to like really put that mindset on in our everyday life and not kind of just look to that weird guy who somehow still went to the nations and had a great time doing it, but like to one another and to call each other saints and to call each other ministers and missionaries and say, you have been sent, you are a sent one, therefore go. And you might be wondering, like, why? I thought we were talking about Acts. This is getting a little awkward, James, then. Uh, so, like, we, we, played a, we played a trick on you. I just, I have to be honest. We kind of, we did a little bait and switch. Not really. But we have been talking about the community of Acts 2, this devoted, loving community that was generous and prayerful and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been teaching you the last two months what it is to be a missionary, Whoops. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what you've been learning. So like if you didn't know, welcome to class. It's almost over and it's time to go. I'm super excited today. Right? It wasn't this Acts 2 community isn't just like a feel-good community. It's a missional community. We're going to look more at that in just a second. But we know that it wasn't just a club. We know that it wasn't just a social group. We know that it wasn't just a social justice group. We know that it wasn't just a prayer group, not just a seminary, not just an outreach team, not just a discipleship school. It's a missional community that God is bringing his church through. And they were doing what they did. Why? 
because they knew the mission. That's what makes you a missionary, knowing the mission and doing it. And they didn't just like read about it in a book. Like these people are unique in Acts 2 because they saw the life of Jesus. They saw him live this thing out and invite them into it over and over and over again. And not only did they see it firsthand, they also heard it firsthand from his mouth as he commissioned them to go and bring kingdom. They knew the mission and they knew who the mission was for. And that's what we're going to look at today. Open your Bibles up to the book of Mark. While I hydrate, <clears throat> Mark 1, I'm gonna, I guess I got to do it as well. Here we go. Mark 1, 14. So Jesus is like beginning his ministry. That's literally what the heading in my Bible said. It says this, 1, 14. Now after Jesus was arrested, excuse me, now after John was arrested, way ahead of the story, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A lot of like churchy words in there that you might not know about, and maybe you do, or maybe you know wrongly about them. I'm not sure how you're sitting in these chairs, but let's just start with the gospel. We use that one a lot. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? I got more brownie points. <laughs> Who knows what the gospel is? Uh, bold, boldness. Good news. Oh, sorry, Maggie. Good news. Up front, another brownie point. These are literal brownie tickets from Chick-fil-A. I just happen to have them in my pocket. It's embarrassing. Um, yeah, the gospel, uh, the, the Greek word uh, uh, that, that is the gospel means the good news. The good news. But what's the good news? Spoiler alert, Jesus says it. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in that. I think this is significant because I think we all grasp the reality that like our way to the kingdom is the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ who poured out his blood to cover the, the atrocities of our sin and give us a way into kingdom, that is significant, but it is not the fullness of the gospel because the fullness of the gospel says the kingdom is at hand and you can come in. That is the good news from the mouth of Jesus here. And I love that he's proclaiming this. He proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's just a little, I love garden stuff. If you don't know this, you'll know it. Um, <laughs> uh, what happens when God speaks? First six days of creation, anybody? What happens when God speaks? Stuff happens, it comes to life. Thanks, Grace. I think that was grace, right? Yeah, amen. Stuff happens, stuff comes to life. God is with his mouth speaking the kingdom into existence in this moment. And not only does he speak the kingdom into existence in this moment, repent and believe parallels the next stage in the garden where he blesses and sends and says, be fruitful and multiply. This is an invitation. Repent and believe is an invitation into kingdom and is an invitation for kingdom. 
right? There's a, there, it's like both and. Come into, you can come into the kingdom through repentance and believing, and you will create kingdom through repentance and believing. Because the mission of Jesus is and has been since the garden to partner with his people to create and recreate the kingdom of God. What is it? Revelation 21. John has this picture. He says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Not a better kingdom. Just God's recreating. He's redeeming. He's restoring. That is the mission of God and the invitation of his people. So you probably know where I'm going because I haven't talked about repentance and belief yet. So that's where we're going. Repentance and belief. That's the invitation to us. That's how we get to create kingdom in us and around us. Everyone's nervous because I'm going to start with repent. I can feel it in the room. That phrase is loaded with implication, pregnant with implication, as we say. Me and Mark say that. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> um, repentance. I want to talk about repentance, but to do that, just as I look around Christian culture, I need to talk a little bit about what repentance isn't. And that's confession. We often get this a little, just like two degrees off. It's, they go hand in hand, but one is not the other. Confession is not repentance. See, confession is the acknowledgement of sin. Acknowledging it with ourself, acknowledging it before God, and acknowledging it with others. And maybe to take it a step further and not preach a whole sermon about this, sin is not the action. Sin is the disordered belief behind the action that causes the action. So we're talking disease versus symptom. Are you guys tracking with me on that, on that language? Right? We, I, it's so important because we're just like, oh, here's my sin, here's my sin, here's my sin. I'm like, those are your actions. What are you believing? That's your sin. It's a disordered desire. It's a wrong framework, a wrong view. That is what sin is. And so confession is acknowledging more than the action. It's the sin beneath it. Uh, there's this theologian, Cornelius Plantinga. He says this, that sin is the vandalism of shalom. Like sin destroys peace. Shalom means peace. And sin just destroys that. Because we were made for peace. Like hanging out in the garden with the almighty God, walking in the cool of the day. That's what we were made for, cultivating with him. So as we discover beliefs behind our sin are rooted in brokenness, that's the opportunity to go, that's the thing that I confess. That I, that I come before the Lord and say, Lord, I confess. Like when I yelled at my son today, it wasn't the yelling that was wrong. It was the belief that, that, that he should be behaving a certain way in front of other people because people are going to judge the way that I parent and therefore that's pride. My sin is pride. Okay, Lord, thank you. We're working on that now. And then I go, hey, Corinne, my wife, I just learned I'm prideful. She's like, I know. Um, and can you, I just want to confess that to you so that you can encourage me away from that and into repentance. There it is. We do that in community. The power of the Holy Spirit, we get convicted. We do it through community so that we can walk in repentance. So now we're to Repentance the big word. Repentance. The Greek word 
used here to repent is to change your mind. Just change your mind, right? I was going to go have, you know, Burger King, and then I learned that my belief about Burger King being good was wrong, and so I'm going to go to the habit, you know, right beliefs. But here's the thing about that. Like, the Greeks, God bless them, uh, they, they had a very high view of the power of the mind, right? A society of philosophers who just, um, in essence, uh, idolized the power of the mind, that you can just, like, will it. Just, uh, just change my mind, which is kind of impossible. If you've ever really tried it, and I'm sure every single one of you has a story of the, like, the frivolity of that just attempt. And this was actually, it's written in Greek, but it's being spoken here in, in Mark 1 to a Jewish audience, to a Hebrew audience. And the Hebrew word or ideal of repent uh, is this word teshuva, which means to go back. So there's a change that happens, but for the change to happen, you have to know what you're changing to, what you're going back to, which is kind of what we've been talking about a little, is this thing that you were created for. That is repentance, is acknowledging the belief. This is a wrong belief. What do I do with it? Well, I'm made for that, and I'm believing this. Ah, Now I start moving towards the right belief. Now that I know the belief system behind my action has been distorted and isn't forming me into the being I was intended to be, I can rediscover the reality of God's kingdom and begin living as if it is true which forms new beliefs, which forms new kingdom beliefs. And this is like even what Jesus continues to do throughout his ministry over and over. You'll read in the Gospels, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've understood it this way, but I'm telling you it's this. It's a two-degree turn. It's a three-degree. Sometimes it's a 90, 180-degree turn. But it's just a reorienting to truth, which is why Knowing who we are, the garden story is so, so important. And it's what they're doing in Acts 2, this fellowship of believers. They're literally, with their actions, putting their actions towards the thing that they believe is true, and then they're learning that it's true. They're rediscovering who they are, that they were made for communion with God, like presence kind of with God and communion with one another, like even though I see you as dysfunctional, I'm made to be with you kind of community. Relearning what it looks like to be sons and daughters, to be part of a family, to be called saints and heirs and citizens and the set apart ones and the sent ones. That's what they're learning in Acts 2. Picking back up the blessing of the garden, which was a blessing of cultivation and communion. That's repentance. So then, believe. Notice in Mark 1, 15, it doesn't say repent, then believe. I think that's significant. Um, it says repent and believe. These go together hand in hand. This is, I'm saying this because we often can get it in our heads that there's some point of arrival that we're supposed to get to before the, the ways of God start becoming the ways of Jameson or the ways of Hannah or the ways of Daniel or the ways of whoever. But what, what 
I think Jesus is pointing to here is a reality where we're getting rewired and putting it into action at the same time, right? Belief, I think, is a combination of knowledge and faith. Knowledge is the thing you already know, and it steers how you interact with the world. And faith is, uh, Hebrews says, faith is hope in the things not yet seen, right? So there's still a, we believe this is true, but I haven't like learned it. I don't have that knowledge yet for myself. The best picture that I have for this is uh, gravity, right? Gravity is a thing that like nobody in here is probably... I don't think anyone in here would argue with me that gravity exists. Gravity exists. And we like all believe that. But like I can't prove it to you. I can only approve, I can only prove the effects of gravity. Right? Like I can't see something pulling down on everything around me. Yet if I throw something in the air, not one of you is going to think it's going to stay there, right? Unless we're in space. So that's, that's this kind of like tension of, of knowledge and faith, hope and things not seen which means because as we're learning like who we are and whose we are, we have permission to begin living it even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. When we're in community and we have like vision for what the church is, even when we don't see the fullness of it, even when we don't see like my, my leadership as perfect, we still get to live like kingdom people and bring kingdom in spite of the lack of kingdom around us. Amen? means that your very existence in a space as a follower of Jesus will bring kingdom. It's like a light, like a flashlight. You take a flashlight, a tiny little flashlight, into a room. The light is this big. That is the light. But when that light turns on, when it enters into a space, the entire room becomes light. Like it just permeates, it, it, it immerses the room in that reality. That's what happens when we step into belief. Deciding where to go, looking at the clock. We're good though, we're good. Um, so that's what follows, like open, if you still have your Bibles open or your scroll open, whatever it is, um, scroll, digital scroll, not like a papyrus, like, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, just look at the headings that follow in Scripture. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus heals many. Jesus preaches in Galilee. Jesus cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic. He calls uh, Levi. He gives a theological understanding of fasting. He talks about the theology of, of Sabbath. He heals a man with a withered hand, a crowd. He preaches to... This is... This is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's not only uh, uh, declaring the kingdom of God, he's demonstrating it as he goes. He's not just in depositing the truth. He's bringing the kingdom to life everywhere that he goes. He's preaching. He's healing. He's calling people up. It's both and, and they happen simultaneously. It's like he's going, the kingdom is here. Let me show you. And that's what belief looks like for us. The kingdom is here. Let me show you. Because he's so, so good, he kind of does us a solid later on in his ministry, and uh, he gives us like more tangibles than kind of the nebulous repent, believe, or the declare and demonstrate. In Matthew 28, he gives us literal ways to do this. 
Most of us in this room probably have heard this verse before, but it's no less true than the first time you heard it. It says this, uh, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go, baptize, teach to observe or teach to obey. He looked, like, those are so practical. How do we do it? I don't know. I just think, go, baptize, teach to obey. A little more brownie point time. Who's hungry over here? Come on. What does go mean? Grace, it's for you. I'm going to feed back if I get any closer. I'll put it there. I'll get it to you later. <laughs> I, I imagined injuring somebody right before I let it go, and so I didn't commit. Um, go means go. Move. Go. Like, go. There's not a better definition for go than go. So that's what he, like, he's commissioning. Go. Who's he talking to? Who's that? Jen. He's talking to Jen. Well, get her a cape. Is he talking to anybody else? Is he talking to anybody else in this? Who is he talking to in this story? These are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. They believe that he is their king. Go. What's the destination? This one's tricky. This is a trick question, but what's the destination? I said it was a trick question, and now you're all feeling insecure. I'm so sorry. Everywhere where he tells you, great answers. I'm out of brownie points. Sorry, Megan. <laughs> Go, the destination is, is kingdom. Make disciples. Like, that's really the destination. We often... Uh, we, do, we do look at the to all nations part of this passage, and it's right because it's just giving us a lot of permission and a lot of freedom on where we're supposed to be bringing kingdom. But the point is, go bring kingdom. Make disciples. Make followers of me. That is my kingdom. But I want to talk about the all nations really quick because this was a little of the idolatry in my own heart when that video got made that we showed to kick it off. Acts 1.8, if you've got your Bibles still open, would you just flip over a few pages? This is cool, like Jesus' death and resurrection has happened. He tells the apostles, like, go, uh, wait in Jerusalem. I'm coming. I'm sending my, my, the power, fullness of my power, the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? That's, a, that's a, quite the collection. Oh, look at this. It's up there. It's quite the collection of places. That means the going is really wide open. But I want to submit this to you just a little bit. There, there can be, it was in me, like I said, when that video got created, but there can be both in just even in our own church culture here, a bit of a, uh, an idealizing of the all nations or the nation mindset 
which is not bad to want to go to the nation. But if you really take an exhaustive look at the story that unplays in Acts, you'll realize that they literally follow this as a roadmap. So they start in Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 7, and they bring kingdom there. They build churches there, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their communities. And when they've brought some kingdom, not all of it, there's no arrival, then they springboard into Judea, Samaria, which is like their, their region, right? This is, like, this is like maybe Orange County or something like that. And then when they've brought some community there, when they have a testimony in the place that they've been, they go to the place that they're going. To the ends of the earth. And if we get, I just, if we get this wrong, we do a whole lot of other things. God will still bring kingdom because he's faithful, but we miss out on getting to stand on the testimony that God has built in one place so that he can send us to the next place. Which means we can't idolize the nations as the place, which means there's no longer superheroes and there's just people building kingdom all around us. And it means that you start, your starting point is to go where you're at. We can get really anxious. Let's get to the next thing. Let's go where you're at. We don't want to leapfrog this in our own communities. Yeah, I feel like I'm supposed to say this. I think maybe one of the, the reasons we tend to maybe do that is because it's, it might sound crazy to go to a nation, like to go far away. I remember people telling my wife and I, like, I can't believe I could never go to Africa. And I'm like, there's planes every day. What are you talking about? But I think the reason we don't, the reason we go to that is because it's, it's actually less costly. It's less vulnerable at one level because, because like, I'm going to be here next Sunday and have said what I said today and have to see you next week. And that's costly. I'm going to have to see my neighbor tomorrow who I said or didn't say what I said to the next day. That's, that's vulnerable. But I can go to the nations, and if it's not for a long time, I'll probably never see those people again. If it's for a long time, I at least have the gift of being able to be dismissed as a foreigner and a moron. And you can hide under that. And I'm not saying that's what everybody does when they go to the nation, but this is, this is a bit of why sometimes we leapfrog over going where we're at and try to go somewhere else because we believe in this idol of arrival that when I get there, I'll start being a Jesus follower. When I get there, I'll finally be able to build kingdom. And God's like, I need my kingdom where you're at. What are you doing? Sorry if that was strong. I just really felt that. There's a missionary CT stud that says the light that shines the brightest at home shines the farthest. And that's just been really sticking with me lately of this, this just, what is my impact? How does God want to use me? And how will he use me? And God just been personally speaking to me, give it everything you've got right where you're at. It's been a joy. Our discipleship school, the last eight months or so, you know, we're going on a trip next month to a nation. That maybe, now you're confused, like, wait, you're going? I thought you just said, no, I'm not saying no go. But what's exciting about this is this trip leaves, in quote fingers, in a month, but it started eight months ago. 
Like this class is a bunch of people who've said, we just want to know how to get Jesus here and now and in us and around us. Let's do that. And they've been faithfully doing that to the point of then now stepping out into the streets of Fullerton and just, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? Did you know he actually like wants to heal you? Do you know he wants to restore you? Let me show you the kingdom is here, which gives me a confidence as a leader to go, hey, let's go there because we know how to do it here. It's, it's so fun. Whew, go. Where am I at? I lost it. Baptize. That's what we're going to talk about next. That's the going. But what do you do in the going? You baptize and teach to obey. Baptism. How many of you guys are followers of Jesus and have been baptized? If you have not and you are a follower of Jesus, we would love to baptize you with water. Just as a declaration that you are one sent to bring kingdom. We see it all throughout scripture. They confess and then they baptize. Boom, 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 boom. Confess Jesus as Lord. Get that dude in water. Get that lady in water. Let everybody know. But this isn't just the literal meaning of baptism here. This is bigger than that. This is, this is, this is the figurative also meaning of baptize. To baptize is to immerse. Immerse in what? Water? Water's great. That's an outward declaration, but I would submit to you even greater is what Jesus says to baptize them in, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's an authority component to that of just surrendering to those, those authorities in your life, but there's a kingdom reality to immersing someone in that. The name of is significant. God gives names to his people to help them understand who he is. So that means to baptize somebody in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is to immerse them in the understanding that God is king, creator, provider, healer, that God's hospitable, that God is truth, that God can comfort us, that God can redeem us. And the only way to immerse somebody in that is not to smash a Bible in their face, show them, and then demonstrate it to them. This is how God has healed me. Let me risk that he might heal you. This is how God has comforted me. Let me risk that he might comfort you. Immersing them in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then as they, this is like how it would work if we were fully doing this. And I believe we're doing this. So if I'm being a little harsh I just tend to come across that way, and I love you all a ton. I'm so sorry. My wife has to often tell people, like, that means he loves you if he's being strong with you, because um, I really do. But if we're immersing them, if we're create, bringing kingdom with us around every single person that we encounter, they will notice. That's maybe a good, like, litmus test for you. Is anyone noticing <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, they'll notice, and they might not want it. That's okay. But if you're bringing it, they will take note, and that's your opportunity to teach them to obey, to not only declare, but to demonstrate. Man, I live like this because this is what I've learned about myself, about what isn't or what could be, and so even though I haven't experienced the full version of what that is, I live it 
so that I can get more of it. Do you want to get more of it? I could show you how to do that. Jesus has empowered me to show you that. He's actually given me authority to do that. That's what this Acts 2 community knew. They knew that there was power in the repentance and the belief. They knew that, that as they changed their hearts and minds from, from where they were in this confusing, our Savior just died, we're under oppression, but the kingdom is at hand belief. As they shifted the belief from scarcity and slavery and oppression to kingdom and saint and heir and son and daughter, and they lived that out, that people would come alive around them or would literally walk away from them. That's what they knew. And now that, uh, unfortunately, for those of you who stuck it out, is what you know. But the call is to more than know it. The call is to believe it. The invitation is, is to know that the kingdom of God is here. To demonstrate repentance, like openly. Like to literally turn the other direction openly in community. Let people see that in you. Very vulnerable. To let every part of your being be changed as you discover who God is and who you're supposed to be. And then to live those things out around you. And it's just my belief that, that this passage in Mark, I think Jesus knew how incredibly messy that would be for everybody but him. And I think it maybe looks more like repent and believe and repent and believe and then repent and then believe and then repent and believe. Like, because there is no arrival. There's just walking with Jesus, walking with others, putting back on blessing, taking off curse, over and over and over again. And so, uh, Jacob, I'm going to invite you up, man, and the rest of the team. I don't have a better invitation for you today because the invitation from Jesus was the same. Repent and believe. I try not to outdo him because I know I can't. Repent and believe. So I'm going to kind of give us just some, some practicals of like, how can I do that right now? And it won't be done now. That's not the point. It's just, we're just taking steps. Just taking steps. Repent. Maybe as I was talking just about some of those belief systems, those identities, as I was calling you a saint or a missionary or a sent one or a son or a daughter or as I said that you've been placed in family, maybe some of that just felt uncomfortable, like it didn't fit, like, that's not me, that's them, it's not me. That's great. That means you feeling that as I speak that means Holy Spirit's tugging on something in your heart and going, or maybe it is. And so I want to invite you this morning to, to just take that thing captive right now that, that God revealed to you and not in a striving, willpower, change your mind kind of way, but in a turning back kind of way. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and by praying with other people. We'll have a handful of leaders on the sides here, uh, but you can also just pray with the person sitting next to you. And you just bring that unbelief. That's what it says later on in Mark is there's this father who wants this healing to come for his child. And Jesus is like, can I heal him? And the man says in Mark 9, 24, immediately the father and the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. So that's what you get to take to Jesus is just like, I, I don't believe this. And you can hand that to the person that's going to pray with you and just go, I don't know what to do, Hannah. I don't believe this. And Hannah can go, okay, Holy Spirit, come. Let's see. Let's see what God has to say about that. Because we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in community, which also means don't let it end in a prayer time. Like bring that into your life group. Bring it into your marriage. Bring it into your, your kind of circle of friends. That is the response to repent. And the second is belief. And I want to just, for those of us here, I want to focus this in a little bit on the go. And my question for you, if, if maybe that's what made you feel a little less sure, if you didn't have a clear picture when I say, where have you been sent, if you can't answer that question, it's a great thing to ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where have you sent me? I don't know that I know the answer to that question. I'm just existing right now because life is hard. So show me where I'm sent. And my encouragement to you is that you would that you would maybe run through that idea of like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and, and maybe just start at the beginning and just ask Holy Spirit, am I bringing kingdom in my house? Because you sent me there. In my marriage, in my friend group, in my church, in my workplace, and then just hear from Holy Spirit, be encouraged in the ways that you are bringing community. But just allow Holy Spirit to reveal that. And maybe he's calling you forward like you are bringing it in Jerusalem and Judea. Let's go to Samaria, though. That'll be fun. Maybe you're like, I want to go to Samaria. And he's like, I need to call you back home. Both of those are the right trajectories with Jesus because it's not, Mark says, it's up into the, is it right or left? I don't remember. Right. Like it isn't just this stair step. It's just like life with Jesus listening and obeying and letting him heal and reveal over and over. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak. Help us with our unbeliefs. Give us a clarity that we are sent ones. Remind us that we are saints and th that title's not empty. But that your mission is to create and to recreate kingdom with us and through us, Lord. Speak to your people this morning, Jesus. Love you, Lord.